Before I get started, I have a few announcements to make. The first is the change in our release schedule. As you might have noticed, I have been releasing new episodes on Wednesday. I decided to make the change after I realized that the show got more listens on Thursday rather than Friday. So yeah, from now onwards, I'll be releasing new episodes on Wednesday. It has come to my attention that some of you guys are also creators and hosts of other shows out there. Please feel free to reach out to me so we can arrange cross-promotional stuff and interviews. You can reach me via Instagram at Society of Strife Podcast. Lastly, this is the last episode of the Chernobyl series. I hope you enjoyed listening to the story and I want to thank every single one of you for always showing up and listening to my stories. Honestly, these past months have been great. Hopefully, the next ones will be too because I have some great episodes lined up. Finally, I will be introducing a $1 tier on Patreon from the day this episode gets released. I know some of you have been complaining, so I've decided to add more tiers. By the way, if you donate and want your name mentioned on the show, please tell me. I don't know, for some weird reason, my default settings are not to mention names. Maybe it's because I'm a very private person myself. I have no idea. So, let me know if you want your name mentioned on the show. Remember, you can donate to the show via patreon.com slash societyofstrife. You can also donate on Buy Me A Coffee via buymeacoffee.com slash societyofstrife. If you love podcasts as much as I do, please donate. I've always wanted to release this show twice a week, but unfortunately, I don't have the resources to do so. And that is why your donations, whatever the value, will be very appreciated. If you want to look at the links later, I'll be adding them to the podcast description. Something else I'd like to add, if you'd like to suggest a story, you can do so via email, societyofstrife at gmail.com. Some of you have already sent suggestions, including US drone strikes on Afghan civilians and the recent Australia-UK-US deal, that has got the French so pissed. I am collecting info on those two subjects and I will publish the episodes as soon as I am done. A donation would help me push things along as I could hire a writing and research assistant. Writing and research take the most amount of time as any podcaster will tell you, though some would tell you that it's editing. Sure, editing takes time, but unlike research, you can do it in one go. With research, you have to cross-check every bit of information, especially if your show is fact-based. It would be so much easier if it was opinion-based. That aside, let's get on with the story. The area around the Chernobyl power plant is one of the most dangerously radioactive places in the world today. Literal tons of nuclear fuel in the form of plutonium and uranium remain underneath the concrete sarcophagus over reactor 4. The radiation level is fatal to any life, and, as we shall later see, the threat of that reactor may be growing rather than reducing. Back in 1986, as the liquidators were trying to get rid of nuclear waste, they constructed more than 800 clay-lined burial pits in the 30-kilometer zone around the power plant. These burial pits contain everything from cars, animal carcasses, and even trees which had absorbed radiation from the atmosphere. These pits are now leaking. 
The radioactive poison seeping from them has contaminated the bottom soil of the Dnieper River and its tributary, the Pripyat. Sediment taken from both of these rivers has been found to contain strontium, cesium, and plutonium. These rivers supply more than 30 million people with drinking water. To prevent further contamination, these wastes need to be moved to a more suitable storage facility. Unfortunately, these storage facilities have not been built. Unsurprisingly, disaster-related health expenses have had a damaging effect on the economies of Ukraine, Belarus, and Russia. The people living in contaminated areas have struggled more than other citizens to make new lives for themselves. Fortunately, a few have managed to leave the affected villages and towns where their families have lived for generations. Since 2004, UN agencies have become more actively involved in addressing the long-term problems caused by the Chernobyl nuclear accident. The Food and Agriculture Organization, or FAO, and the World Health Organization, or WHO, are among several agencies that have created community assistance and economic development projects. According to the UN website, the UN's priorities in Chernobyl are community-based development, provision of information to affected communities, infrastructure, health, radiation mitigation, nuclear safety and radioactive waste management, environmental sustainability, and disaster risk reduction and early warning. The IAEA, or the International Atomic Energy Agency, has also helped Chernobyl by establishing the International Chernobyl Research Network to continue the study of long-term effects of radiation exposure. Among the countries that have contributed the most financially is Japan. By 2002, the Japanese government and private donors had contributed over $100 million to the research network. Japanese experts who studied the long-term effects of the bombings of Hiroshima and Nagasaki assisted in the work done by the UN and the IAEA. The Chernobyl disaster didn't seem to have stopped most countries from wanting nuclear energy. At the end of 2001, there were 435 nuclear power plants known to be in operation worldwide. These plants generated about 17% of the electricity used around the world. In 2021, there are approximately 445 nuclear power plants in operation, providing about 10% of all the electricity used in the world. While most countries are refraining from building more nuclear reactors, China is notably building more, a lot more. Back in 2003, China had six nuclear power plants. In 2021, it now has 51 reactors with additional ones being under construction. One question that I've been asking myself since starting this series is, if a nuclear accident took place today, in 2021, when the internet has not only been around for more than two decades, but has also flourished, would the news spread faster? Would the response be better, or would misinformation and disinformation reign supreme? Honestly, I can't say. What is clear is that Chernobyl was much more than a nuclear accident. It was something that affected the entire world and even led to the collapse of one of the mightiest countries to have ever existed. 
Shortly after his arrest, Anatoly Dyatlov wrote a letter to a friend describing his reaction on April 26, 1986, a few moments after the nuclear accident had occurred. Quote, It seemed as if the world was coming to an end. I could not believe my eyes. I saw the reactor ruined by the explosion. I was the first man in the world to see this. As a nuclear engineer, I realized all the consequences of what had happened. It was nuclear hell, end quote. That was an apt reaction, considering how much the reactor accident changed the lives of millions of people around the world. After the sarcophagus started breaking down, the international community went into emergency mode and by 2010 had raised enough money to build a new containment structure. At first, repairs were attempted on the sarcophagus, but they were quickly deemed incapable of containing the radioactive mess that is reactor building for. After that attempt, the world went to work and contracted a French company by the name of Novaka. What Novaka came up with is a massive arc-shaped building by the name of the New Safe Confinement, or NSC. The NSC is 108 meters high, 162 meters long, has a span of 257 meters, weighs 36,000 tons, and has a lifetime minimum of 100 years. The whole project was financed by the Chernobyl Shelter Fund, and the structure alone cost roughly $1.6 billion. The new safe confinement was built to protect the sarcophagus from weathering and corrosion. It was also built so that if the sarcophagus were to collapse, then the NSC would become the new sarcophagus. In other words, its job would be to contain the radioactivity inside reactor 4. The NSC also comes equipped with two remote-controlled cranes whose job will be to dismantle reactor building 4 after the radioactivity inside has decayed to safe levels. It is estimated that the reactor will only be deemed safe after the year 2110. Notably, the $1.6 billion structure is airtight, waterproof, fireproof, tornado-proof, and even earthquake-proof. Just like the sarcophagus, it was built off-site and then slid into place in November 2016. In May 2021, scientists were shocked to discover that not only had fission reactions in reactor building 4 not ceased 35 years after the accident, but that they were increasing. As you can guess, this information sent Ukrainian scientists scrambling to find the cause of these new reactions, and whether they would go out on their own or would need external intervention to stop. You need to remember that there are almost 200 tons of uranium fuel buried deep underground at the site. And if the reactions were to ramp up even further, then not even the new safe confinement would be enough to prevent another disaster. After the core exploded, tons of sand and boron was thrown onto the core to stop fission reactions from taking place. According to science.org, once the sand was thrown onto the reactor core remains, Uranium fuel rods, their cladding, graphite control rods, and the sand all melted down to form some sort of lava-like substance. The lava then flowed into the reactor building's basement rooms and hardened into formations called fuel-containing materials 
or FCMs. Next, the sarcophagus allowed water to seep in, and because water slows neutrons, it increased their odds of striking uranium. For this reason, heavy rainfall would send neutron levels through the roof. No pun intended. After the NSC was constructed, officials in Chernobyl assumed that any chance of a disaster had been mitigated because the new construction was waterproof. And they were right. It did work, at least in some places. In some places, such as basement room 305-2, neutron levels have nearly doubled in the four years since the NSC was slid into place in 2016. According to some scientists, the process of drying is somehow allowing neutrons to ricochet through the FCMs buried under debris in the room. This threat cannot be ignored, and as the neutron levels continue to climb, people are worried. They are worried that the fission reactions already taking place may accelerate exponentially, leading to an uncontrolled release of nuclear energy. In other words, they are worried that someday the fission reactions taking place in Chernobyl may lead to another disaster. Thank you so much for listening. If you liked this episode, you know what to do. Leave us a 5-star review on Apple Podcasts and share the show with your friends and family. If you would like to support the show, you can do so on patreon.com slash societyofstrife. A $1 tier is now available, so please get on there, leave us a donation. It really helps me put together this show. I understand that this week's episode is a little short, but I'll make it up to you guys next week. Until then, goodbye.